All right. Welcome, everybody. So glad that you were here spending part of your weekend here with us at Skyline Church Online. Listen, wherever you are, check in, say hi. Our online hosts are here to greet you, chat with you, answer any questions that you might have. Again, so glad that you're here. Listen, if you're new with us, maybe you're checking us out for the very first time. There's a little button that you can click to let us know that you're new here. We'd love to connect with you. In fact, we've got a little gift that we would love to send you just for being here with us this morning. Parents, don't forget, we've got uh, special kids online worship experiences available for you. Just go over to our website, skylinechurch.cc. Click on the little button that says Sky Kids Online. We've got resources for you there. And I just wanted to update you guys real quick. We've been doing uh, our food truck buyouts every Thursday for the past couple of weeks. And listen, y'all, this past Thursday, we surpassed the 1,000-person mark. Come on, because of your generosity and faithfulness and consistency, we've been able to feed over 1,000 people on our Thursday night food truck buyouts. we got more going on. It's incredible to see the, the, the vision and the mission of Jesus' kingdom moving forward. Even though we can't gather like we normally do, his mission is still moving forward. That's incredible. It's because of you and because of your faithfulness. I just want to say thank you for that. Okay, we're going to jump in. Movement part two. We're just going to pick up in Acts chapter two, starting in verse one. Follow along. Get out your Bible. Get out the Bible app. Get out something to write with. Jot some notes down. But here we go. Acts chapter two, starting in verse one. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they, they talking about the disciples, were all gathered together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears our own native language? Parthens, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. They said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Come on, turn to whoever you're with right now and say, you've had too much wine. Just kidding, don't say that. But turn to them and say, what a way to start. Come on, what an amazing way to start. Because this right here is the opening act of the church. It's the starting point of Jesus' church. Remember last week, we were in Acts chapter 1. We were discussing that, and we referenced Matthew chapter 16. Jesus looked at Peter and said, hey, Peter, on you, I am going to build my church. Listen, it's not our church. It's not our kingdom, but it's his. And so we kicked off this movement series last week. We read in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go. Remember, we talked that our faith is not a gathering faith, but it's a, it's a going 
living faith. And, and we, he said, hey, do not leave. He's, he's, he's telling them to go, but then he says in, in verse 6, do not leave Jerusalem just yet, but you've got to wait for the gift that I've promised you. You, you need to wait for the Holy Spirit. And, and this isn't even really what I came to tell you today, but I want to tell you this, that sometimes there's an opportunity in waiting. Sometimes waiting is actually a part of your setup. Because I can imagine Peter in this moment, even though it's not in the text, and honestly, I just like picking on Peter every now and then, but I can imagine Peter is gathering all the other disciples together, and he's looking at Jesus and saying, hey, what are we waiting for? Like, if there's a gift that you have for us, like, we're ready. Give the gift now. Can, can we open it? What, what do we need to wait for? Like, we're here. We're ready. We're pumped. We're excited. I mean, Jesus, come on. You defeated death. You defeated the grave. What else could we possibly be waiting for before we go? And perhaps Jesus is waiting for the, the right conditions to be set up for the most effective outcome. So that it will have the, the largest impact to, to, see the, to see more of eternity impacted. Because listen, Jesus is fierce. Jesus is strategic. He wants to maximize every opportunity. Uh, kind of like the time that Jesus stopped on his way to go heal a little girl in Mark chapter 5. We mentioned this in our Fierce Jesus series, but, but Jesus is, has, has been called by a synagogue leader because his daughter is, is sick. And so on his way to that, Jesus is actually stopped by another woman in the crowd, a, a woman that, that they would have deemed as, as not really important. And, but because Jesus' priorities are not always the same as ours, he stops he heals this woman, but in the time that it took to do that, the little girl dies. But what her dad didn't know and what the, the crowd of people around Jesus didn't know is that their waiting was actually a part of their setup. Because while many of the people there knew Jesus as a healer, he could now be revealed as resurrection. That he's the one that can speak life back into things that have died. Or in John chapter 11... Uh, Jesus gets word that his friend, his good friend Lazarus, is sick. And upon receiving that news, Jesus stays put. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't leave to go see Lazarus for another two days. And instead of arriving in time to be a healer, Jesus arrives in time to be resurrection. Uh, Jesus arrives in time to declare to the people around him that it doesn't matter how long you have been in the grave, even if you've been in the grave long enough for there to be a little bit of a stench and for people to fear opening the tomb and looking at Jesus saying, hey, this is not really a good idea. Jesus is the one who has power over the grave. It doesn't matter how long you think your marriage has been buried. If you've, if you've been wrapped in some burial clothes, if the dream inside of you died years ago when the one who is resurrected and life speaks to it, it comes out of the tomb. In fact, I could argue, based out of the text in John chapter 11, that it was precisely because Jesus cared so much for Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and that's the reason he waited. The, his, his care for them, it, because he cared so much, he didn't want to be healer. He wanted to show them resurrection. Some, some of us have got to start being okay with waiting. Some of us have got to start being okay with, with the delay. Just because it's delayed doesn't mean that it's denied. 
Just because Jesus says not yet doesn't mean that he's saying no. Because what he could be doing is he could be setting you up. He, he could be setting the conditions in place that you would never be able to create, working behind the scene on things that you don't even know about, positioning people and assets in a way that you never could. Why? Because if you could learn to just wait, the impact could be greater. The, the, the ripple effect could, could stretch further and I haven't even gotten started. We haven't even gotten to our text yet. But here's what I do know, that if the disciples in this moment don't wait, if, if they're tempted and, and, and they're amped and they're ready and, and they want to go and they, can, they feel like they can take on the world and Jesus says, wait, and then he leaves. And I just imagine Peter starting to get a little bit antsy, like, guys, Jesus left. He didn't say how long we were going to wait. Like, come on, we're ready to go. We don't really have to wait all that long. Listen to me, if they didn't wait, there's no chance in the world they would have been as effective as they could have been. So Jesus tells the disciples, wait, wait, wait. And then we get to Acts chapter 2, and, and we find out why. We, we find out that, that Jesus is so much smarter, he's so much wiser, and he's so much more intentional, intentional than I think we sometimes give him credit for. No wonder the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians one twenty five would say this. He says, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Come on, I'll take God's foolishness and God's weakness any day over my own wisdom. Okay, let, let, let's get back to Acts chapter 2. Jesus, what in the world were you telling your disciples to wait for? Because remember, he, some of the very last things he said to him was like, hey, you're going to go. You're going to go into all the world. You're going to go baptize people. You're going to go to in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. He's gearing them up, getting ready to go. And then he says, hey, but wait, pause. Go back, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, let me give a little bit of background here because I, I think it will help clue us in into the genius of Jesus, just how fierce he really is because a lot of us, when, when, we, when we read or hear the word Pentecost, we either think that it's a, it's a day that was started here in the New Testament or, or it's a church that plays with snakes. And, and, and it's actually neither. Uh, I have plenty of friends Great people that I know, great pastors that I know that grew up in and lead churches that, that come from a Pentecostal background and they're great, uh, they, they, they love Jesus, they're doing great work, but, but for many of us, when we let the fringe or the outliers inform and speak to our beliefs about somebody or something, we usually miss it. Now, that's a story for another day, but this is also not something that started just here in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost is simply a Greek word for another Jewish holiday that was already being celebrated. Because for nearly 1,400 years, the Jewish people had been celebrating what is called Shavuos. And it was a holiday uh, in order to celebrate and remember the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai in the desert. In fact, it was one of the three pilgrimage festivals for the Jewish people. So during Shavuos, people from all throughout the world, 
All, they, they, they would travel from the Middle East, from Northern Africa, from, from the Mediterranean, from Saudi Arabia. They, all the ends of the world, they would come and gather in Jerusalem. Now remember, where are the disciples? They're, they're in Jerusalem waiting. Jesus said, hey, wait, wait in Jerusalem. And then I'm going to send you on mission. I'm calling you to go. But what Jesus was doing is he was setting them up in a way that they could have never imagined. Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to bring people from every corner of the world right to you. I'm, I'm going to place them all in the same place and at the same time. And then I'm going to pour out my spirit and enable you to do something that you couldn't do on your own. And so the disciples are there uh, obediently waiting for the Holy Spirit. They're all together. And actually the, the King James Version actually helps us out a little bit here. Because I think the translation does a little bit better job. It lets us know that the disciples were not just in one place physically, but they were actually in one accord. Acts 2.1 in, in the King James says this, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Listen to me. Never underestimate the power of unity. So not only were the disciples gathered together physically, but now they are gathered together in purpose and in mission and in spirit. And I, I think that's probably one of the reasons the church gets stuck. Why, why, why the church lacks power, why, why the church lacks influence, because so often we have been meeting together physically, but not in spirit, not in mission, not, not, not in vision, because some of us like music one way, some of us would prefer we sing different songs. Some of us would prefer a, a different style of, of teaching or preaching. Some of us wish that the kids' ministry would look a little bit different. So, yes, we're in one place physically, but we're not really in one accord. But if the church of Jesus, if his people would be in one accord, united behind vision, unified behind the mission and his kingdom, we would position ourselves to be set up and empowered in ways that we couldn't even imagine. And so the disciples are ready. And then suddenly, the, the sound of, of a violent wind fills the house that they're in, and they see what seemed to be tongues of fire come down and rest on each of them, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues. Literally, in this instance in Acts chapter 2, they start speaking other languages as the Spirit enabled them, and, and, and it's right here that many of us either check out or get lost. Some of us check out because now it's getting weird. You're like, I, I'm down with Jesus. I, I, I'm down with him going to the cross. and dying. I, I can even get down with him defeating the grave. But now you're talking about tongues of fire and I'm out. Or, or some of us, we get lost here. We, we end up not being able to see the forest through the trees. We read this passage in Acts chapter 2 and we get so focused on this one event and immediately think that it is meant to be prescriptive of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like the, the way that I know that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit or the way that I know that another person is filled with the Holy Spirit is the gift of speaking in tongues. Now listen, if you don't have a Pentecostal or charismatic background, listen, I, I, I get it. You might have a little bit of confusion right now, but, but I, I want to address this because uh, some of us have grown up in, in some traditions that would say, hey, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not really full of the Holy Spirit. 
Or if, if you don't have your own uh, special prayer language, you, you're not really full of the Holy Spirit. And honestly, what that really is, it's, it's a bad understanding of the context of this passage. It, it's honestly a, a poor understanding of what Jesus is doing in this moment. It's, it's bad theology to believe that because it happened this way once, that it's the only way that it can happen. Now, it's a little bit like a, 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 a passage my wife spoke about two weeks ago. She was talking about Elijah uh, waiting, going up to the mountain and waiting to hear from God. And it says a great wind came by. Now, the, Elijah would have thought in, in the Old Testament, wind often represented the spirit of God, but God was not in the wind. And then fire comes. And, and often in the Old Testament, fire would represent the, the very presence of God, but God was not in the fire. And then it says that, that an earthquake came, and, and God was not in that, but then God shows up in a, in a whisper. Do you know why Elijah thought that the wind and the fire and the earthquake would have, the, the reason he was looking for all of those things to be where the presence of God was is because those were ways that he had revealed himself before. But that doesn't mean that it's the only way. So why in the world did, in that moment, did, why did God bother with the wind and the fire? And why not just cut right to the whisper? Because God wants Elijah to know and he wants us to know, hey, don't think that you can box me into a certain way of operating. I will speak how I want to speak, when I want to speak, and to whom I want to speak. And in the same way, this passage in Acts chapter 2 is not here to tell us that this is how you know that you are full of the Holy Spirit. What's more important for us to understand is not that the Holy Spirit enabled these men to speak in tongues, but that the long-promised Spirit of God himself, the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, one-third of the Godhead, whom the prophet Joel, that Peter will later quote in Acts chapter 2, said, hey, in those days, God will pour out his spirit on all people, on your sons and on your daughters, and they're going to dream dreams, and they're going to have visions, and they're going to prophesy, and there will be signs, and they will wonders. The most important thing that you can understand from this is this miracle, that the Holy Spirit himself would come and abide in me he would take up a dwelling place inside of me and sanctify me and lead me, guide me, empower me, equip me, enable me. Do you need wisdom? You have the Holy Spirit. Do you need strength? You have the Holy Spirit. Do you need boldness? You, you've got the Holy Spirit. Do you need something? Do you feel like you're incapable of doing something on your own? You've got the Holy Spirit. You need to pray for your kids. You've got the Holy Spirit. You need strength to keep pressing on in a hopeless situation. You have the Holy Spirit. You need hope to, 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 and to make it through a season of anxiety and depression. You've got the Holy Spirit. Stop being so concerned about how it manifests or what he did in someone else's life, but focus on what he's doing in you. So all this happens. We pick up Acts chapter 1, verse 5. It says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now remember, it's, it, it's the festival. It's Shavuos. It's, it's, it's Pentecost. And so there are people gathered from every corner of the world here in one place. Honestly, 
it, it, it's unbelievable to me how fierce Jesus is, how he arranges all of this. It says, when they heard the sound, a crowd, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard his own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? So the, 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 the crowd of people hear this noise. They get wind that there's all these men over here who are speaking all sorts of different languages. And I love it because they show up and they say, hey, wait a minute. Aren't, aren't all the people doing this Galileans? And, 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 a, and a, in a brief reading of this text, this probably makes sense. Like, all of these guys are not from the places of the language that they're speaking. But it's actually a little bit more than that. Because remember, the, 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 the place where Jesus did most of his ministry, the place where he called his disciples from, was from around the Sea of Galilee. And now this was not a, a well-to-do or refined place. And it certainly was not from a religiously respected place. But from about 75 miles from Jerusalem, which was the religious capital, where the temple was, the place where everyone gathered to celebrate this holiday, certainly, if Jesus was who he said he was, he would have done his ministry in Jerusalem. That's where he would have called his disciples from, not from Galilee. Because see, Galilee was was basically considered the backwoods cousins to Jerusalem. They're not sophisticated. They don't speak very well. You know, they're kind of the backwoods, not really put. In fact, their dialect, the language that they spoke, was the butt of other people's jokes. You know, like they would say wash instead of wash. Like they, they were just, they were made fun of. They didn't follow proper uh, religious rituals like their Judean counterparts or those in Jerusalem. And it certainly didn't help that they lived 75 miles from the temple and the religious capital. So it's not just that these men said, hey, they're, they're not from the places where they're, where they're speaking, but these are Galileans. And, and what I love in this moment is that the Holy Spirit declares in front of the whole world that I am no respecter of men. That, that I'm not looking at the same qualifications that the people around you are looking at. He doesn't care where you're from. He doesn't care where you were raised. He doesn't care what your family of origin might look like. Doesn't matter if you came from a place of prominence or a place of obscurity. Doesn't matter if you got a real nice education or you dropped out of school and educated yourself. Doesn't matter if you have a nice house with a white picket fence and the kids or if you're barely making your ends meet. Doesn't matter how many zeros are in your bank account or if a zero is what defines finds your bank account because the Holy Spirit isn't measuring those things. Remember King David? In the Old Testament, God sent the prophet Samuel to go anoint the next king of Israel, and he shows up at Jesse's house, and he says, Jesse, bring me all of your sons, and Jesse brought all of his sons except one, because Jesse thought for certain there's no way David is the one that he can't be the right choice. But I came to declare to you today that what the Holy Spirit says is the same thing that God the Father said to Samuel. Do not be concerned about his appearance or his height. I've rejected those things. Don't be concerned about your background, your education, your family, your investments, your, pe your, your pedigree, how far you have or have not climbed up the ladder. For I don't look at the same things that the people look at. People look at the outward. People care about where you're from. They care about what you wear. They care about what you look like, what street you live on, how much you have. But I search the heart. 
So listen, if you've ever felt unqualified, if you've ever felt unprepared, if you've ever felt counted out, if you've ever felt looked down on, if you've ever felt like I can't make it or they need to choose somebody else, what I came to announce to you today is that if you'll take a posture of repentance and a posture of humility, if you're willing to take a posture of obedience and take a posture of building Jesus' kingdom and not just your own, then you're a candidate for being filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on. Faith is growing in somebody right now enough to believe that they're chosen and that they're called and that in Jesus you're enough and be ready to be filled by the Holy Spirit. So they're all gathered in one place. Every corner of the world. Skip to verse 8. This is what they all say. How is it that we each hear our own native language? And then they go through the list of places. We're not going to reread it, but all the different places they're from. And then it says, we hear them declaring the wonder of God in our own tongues. Remember, all these people are gathered in Jerusalem for Shavuos. But they're not going to stay in Jerusalem. So in this perfectly timed event, people from every corner of the world many of whom were were God-fearing people. They were going to return to the places that perhaps have never experienced not just the Jewish religion, but Jesus himself. They're getting ready to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and then they're going to return to their homes, many of them having accepted Jesus themselves and witnessed the displayed power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus commanded his disciples to go. Little did they know that he was going to lay an unbelievable groundwork for them. They weren't just going to have to go into places that had never heard the gospel, but through this singular moment alone, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is going to start spreading throughout the world. Jesus is, listen, Jesus is laying the groundwork for you and you don't even know it yet. He's so fierce that he's laying the groundwork for you for a calling that he hasn't even called you to yet. How? Because his ways are higher. His ways are greater. So much so that the Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 2 that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those that love. Some of you have bought into a lie that you'll never amount to anything that if Jesus himself were standing before you and told you what he had planned, you still wouldn't believe it. But he's laying the groundwork for that job. He's laying the groundwork for that child you've been praying to have. He's laying the groundwork for your calling. He's laying the groundwork for you to break the chains of debt. He's laying the groundwork of your freedom from depression and anxiety. Watch and see what he does. See what mountain he doesn't move. What sea he doesn't split open for you to be able to walk across. What disease he won't heal. What prison that he's going to break down. Because the last time I checked, you serve the God who's not only able, but he is going to do immeasurably more than you even know how to ask or how to imagine. What a way to start. Come on, turn to whoever you're with and say 50. Come on, say it again. Say 50. That's really all the word Pentecost means. It means 50. Remember, all the people from every corner of the world are gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate. 
And that word shavu simply means weeks. In fact, it, this, this celebration is also known as the Feast of Weeks. And now I didn't really explain the significance of Shavuos earlier to you, and I realize that it's important for you to know uh, because it was the celebration of the, the anniversary of the day that, that the Lord gave his law, the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, this is a significant day in the history of the Jewish people because for 400 years, this people, this nation, have been enslaved and in bondage in Egypt and by God's mighty hand and his outstretched arm, he delivered them out of it. Okay, let, let, let me back up just a little bit. Otherwise, there's a chance you'll miss the significance of what Jesus did here in Acts chapter two. So rewind, Old Testament, God's people, the nation of Israel, due to a famine, they travel to and end up residing in the nation of Egypt, which at the time was great because Joseph, who's the son of Jacob, who's the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. He's second in command of all of Egypt. So they've got favor and they're taken care of and things are great. But then scripture tells us that a new Pharaoh rose up who didn't know about Joseph, who, or who didn't care about his people. So now Joseph's family, his tribe, God's people are seen as a nuisance and they've got to be set aside. They've got to be forced down. So they're forced into slavery. Egyptian midwives are told and instructed to kill sons who are born to Jewish families. So in the middle of all this, God's people begin to cry out out of their bondage and out of their slavery for deliverance. So God raises up Moses, a leader. And we don't even have time to get into how God's hand was on Moses from the day that he was born or how, or how Moses was just as messed up as you and me, but God was still able to use him. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let God's people go. And Pharaoh won't. And Moses comes again and says, hey, let God's people go. And if you won't, then God will have to himself deliver them from your hand. And Pharaoh says, no. So God does what he does. Sometimes when the thing that's holding you captive and it won't let go, the Lord will have to come in and break up its grip. And so the Lord sends plagues. The river Nile turns to blood. There's locusts and there are frogs and there are gnats. And Pharaoh's grip still won't let go. So now we get to Passover. And the Lord told Pharaoh, if you won't let my people go, every firstborn in this land is going to die. And Pharaoh still refuses. So that evening, the Lord spoke to his people and told them, in order to be protected from the plague, from death, they had to sacrifice a spotless lamb and cover their doorways with its blood. And the blood would be a sign that death would pass over their home. And they do. And the plague of the firstborn happens, and Pharaoh, the one who's been holding them in bondage, finally relents. And so now, 50 days after Passover, 50 days after being set free from bondage, essentially seven weeks, 
hence the, the Feast of Weeks. 50 days from their miraculous escape from Egypt, God met with Moses on Mount Sinai and his word was written on stone tablets and presented to the people. So in Acts chapter two, on this Shavuos, the, the Jewish people were gathering every year, not just to celebrate the writing of God's word on a tablet, but to also remember death passing them over and being set free from the bondage of slavery. So now we fast forward and we've got a little bit of background of what is happening that day and it's significant and it's important. But on this day, as everyone from across the world was gathering in one place to celebrate the writing of the law, a God shows up miraculously again, but not on the mountain with just one man, but in public with his disciples. He shows up again on Pentecost, not to give his law to a single nation, but to declare the gospel to every nation. They gathered on that day to celebrate the giving of God's word, but what they found out was that the word had already become flesh and walked among them. They gathered that day to celebrate words being written on a stone, but what they found out that day was that the Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of the prophet Jeremiah where he said, I will make a new covenant. I'll be their God, they'll be my people, and it's not gonna be written on stone, but it's gonna be written on their hearts. They gathered that day in Jerusalem to celebrate that 50 days after the blood of the lamb had been shed, 50 days after death had passed them over and they were set free from bondage, they found out on this day, on this Pentecost, that it's now been 50 days since Jesus shed his own blood. 50 days since Jesus, who Mark said was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, 50 days after Jesus shed his blood. Why? So that death would pass you over and so that you could be set free from bondage. And it wasn't the law that was written on stone, but it now the Holy Spirit who's written and freely given to us. So if you understand the promise of the gospel today, because yes, through Jesus, you have forgiveness of sin. And yes, through Jesus, you're set free from bondage. And yes, but through the shedding of his blood, the Holy Spirit is available to you today. So some of us, some of us are walking around in forgiveness, but you've never walked in freedom. Some of us are walking in freedom, but, but you've never walked in power before. And what I came to tell you today is that there's a power available to you in the Holy Spirit that you cannot find anywhere else. And Jesus, the, the precious, spotless Lamb of God who is hung on a cross during Passover has not only caused death to pass over you and for you to walk in freedom from bondage, but he's made the Holy Spirit available to you. So what do you do? I'm glad you asked. Wherever you are right now, just stand, stand to your feet. I wanna honor this moment. So everyone there that day witnesses this miracle. And after that all happens, Peter takes the opportunity to explain what's taking place. 
And right now, I pray that under the sound of my voice, that the Holy Spirit himself is beginning to stir in your heart. And I want you to hear the words of Peter very clearly. Because after people see the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter begins to declare the gospel. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 23. This man talking about Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off whom the Lord God will call. So if you stand here today and you're wondering, what do I do? Maybe I've been far off. Maybe I've been distant. Maybe I've been far from home. Listen, hear the words of Peter, repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin. And listen to me, life belongs to you. Freedom belongs to you. Hope belongs to you. And the Holy Spirit is available to you today. Come on, no matter where you are right now, get to your feet and begin to celebrate that there's freedom and forgiveness and hope in Jesus' name. Here's what I want to do. Every head bowed, every heart open. I want to give you an opportunity right now in this moment. By the way, that that word repent simply means to turn around. It it simply means that I I was headed in one direction and and now I'm headed in another. And so when you hear that, that Jesus went to the cross, shed his blood, why? So that death would pass over you, that you would be set free from bondage in your life, and you would be given the Holy Spirit. Listen, what do I do? I repent. And I ask for forgiveness. Some of y'all have never been water baptized. You need to get water baptized. So here's what I want to do. Every head bowed, every heart open right now in this moment. And for the sake of everybody who's going to say this prayer, I want everyone, no matter where you are, no matter who you're with, I want you to say this prayer with me. Now listen to me. If you, if you say this prayer, if you, Scripture says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, He was resurrected from the dead, Scripture says that you're saved. So here's, I want to give us all an opportunity to repent and confess. Maybe you've done that before. Maybe you never have. Maybe it was a long time ago and you're ready to do it again. But I want everyone listening to say this prayer after me. And if you, if you say this and believe it, listen to me, you're, you're a new creation. You're, you're a new person today. So say this with me. Say, Jesus, 
today, I want to repent. Uh, I want to turn. Thank you for shedding your blood on the cross. Thank you for causing death to pass over me. Thank you for setting me free from bondage. Thank you for setting me free from the thing that's had its grip on my life. And in this moment, I confess that I need you. I confess that you are who you say you are. I confess that you are the son of the living God. I confess that you went down into the grave and I confess that the grave could not hold you. I confess that death could not hold you. I confess that sin could not hold you down and that in your name today, I step into new life. Forgive me, wash me, anoint me, make me a new person right here today come on no matter where you are right now lift up a shout of praise for every single person who's stepping into faith in jesus name come on he's your passover lamb he's the one who set you free he's the one that gave you access to the holy spirit and the power come on lift up a shout of praise to jesus right now Listen to me, if you prayed that prayer and were sincere, you're a new creation. Scripture says that you step into new life today. And listen to me, you made the best decision that you'll ever make in your life to step into faith in Jesus' name. Now listen, here's, here's what I want you to do. If you prayed that prayer, the worst thing you could do would be to be inspired to make change and then not do anything about it. We wanna partner with you in this journey. So there's a little button that you can click to say, hey, I raised my hand. Hey, I prayed that prayer. Listen, click on that. We wanna connect with you. We wanna partner with you. We wanna be able to pray for you. We wanna be able to come alongside you in this faith journey that maybe you're starting for the first time or maybe you're restarting here today. But listen, the church is here for you. We wanna come alongside you and celebrate. Listen, all of heaven, is celebrating right now as you step into new life today. Amen. Amen. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to end our experience the same way that we always do, with an opportunity to give our tithes and our offerings. Now listen, if you're new with us, we don't want anything from you. In fact, we just hope that this online experience has been our gift to you. But, but if you call Skyline Church your home, all we ever ask is that you ask Jesus what you should give and then just be obedient because we know that on the other side of obedience, there's blessing for you and for your family. Now, there's two really easy ways that you can give. You can give online through our app or you can give right from your smartphone. 
You can text the amount you want to give to 84321 and then just follow the prompts from there. Now listen, remember, it's because of your faithful, consistent, and generous giving that we're able to continue to buy out food trucks. And to feed, listen, you have helped feed over a thousand people. Come on, church, celebrate a little bit that when you're faithful and when you're consistent and when you're generous, God's house is able to be faithful and consistent and generous and love people and bless people and meet needs. So come on, continue, keep on going, stay on mission, stay focused, keep moving the kingdom of Jesus forward in this city, in this season. Let's be a blessing, let's be a help, let's be a light for this world, let's be a city on a hill right where we're planted. Let's be faithful. And listen, it's not so that people will look to us, but so that Jesus will be magnified and made greater. Here's what I want to do. I want to close the same way we always do. I want to give you just, just pray a blessing over you. So if you can, right where you are, put your hands up and just receive this. Jesus, I pray right now that every person under the sound of my voice, Lord, that you would cause your very presence to go before them to surround them. Holy Spirit, that you would fill your people afresh and anew. That you would empower them, you would equip them, you would embolden them. And that Heavenly Father, you would cause your good face to shine upon us and give us peace and rest until we're able to gather together again in Jesus' name. Church, we love you. We miss you. Can't wait to be together with you all in the same place. Stay connected with us online, on social media. Listen, we may be, we may be disconnected physically, but stay connected spiritually with Jesus and his house. We love you. Have a great week.